Well, we're jumping back into our study going through the book of Ephesians. A um, little bit of uh, background, and then we'll kind of just jump right in. I pray that the Lord has been uh, encouraging your hearts as we've been going through this, and uh, it has become something that has uh, informed your mind and filled your heart and equipped your spirit to live the life that God designed you to live. And no other book in the Bible um, like Ephesians so covers, and I love the... the, the um, uh, how, and, and we talked about how it's broke up into two different sections, right? The first three sections have to deal with our position in Christ, who we are in Jesus Christ, and then the next four, uh, four five, and six deal with our practices in Christ, right? The way in which we live our lives. Our position needs to inform our practices so that Christ might be glorified in our lives. Well, uh, we left off uh, looking at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. Uh, let's take a look together. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Just by way of background, we see that we have been born sinners. Every one of us born in the line of Adam and Eve, we are born sinners. Therefore, we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. And because we've been born dead in our trespasses and sins, we are born under the wrath of God. One of the most critical truths that must be understood when it comes to our humanity is what we were apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, we are as bad off as we possibly could be. That's what the scripture teaches. We are born dead in our trespasses and sins. We are born under the wrath of God. And to the degree that we understand that is the degree that we can embrace the truth of what Paul will say next. He's saying, listen, you were as bad off as you possibly can be. You were born in sin. You were born in your dead, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were under the wrath of God. But God, it doesn't stop there, right? Being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, he made us alive together in Christ Jesus. He made us alive together in Christ. And so when we recognize what we were, then and only then will it inform the beauty of what Christ has done for us. Last week I talked about the importance of understanding our, our union with Christ. Our, our, our union with Christ. We, we looked at, um, brought us back to the beginning in Genesis where, where uh, it says that, that, that when, when speaking about the institution of marriage, which says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two will become one flesh, right? And so those two individuals, they become one in the spirit. Paul will make reference to this. We'll cover this more deeply when we get to Ephesians chapter five, where he'll say in the same way, and he'll reflect on what was said in Genesis, and he'll say a, father, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he says, I speak to you a mystery. I'm speaking about Christ and the church. This union, this oneness, that the marriage, the sanctity, the, the, the marriage resembles the relationship we have with Christ and the church the union, the oneness that we share in Christ. In the same way that we have shared in his death, we share in his life. I mean, listen, sharing in the death of Christ is what has saved us. 
right? When we recognize the fact that we have, when, when Christ went to that cross, it's as if you went to the cross as well. We share in the death of Christ, but we didn't only share in his death, we also share in the life of, his, of Christ as well. To the same way we've shared in his death, we share in his life. Romans chapter six, Paul writes, for if we have been united with him in, de- in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Paul lays out a very clear picture of what happens to us. We were united with him in his death, therefore in the same way we are united with him in his resurrection. He says, now if we died with Christ, verse eight, we believe that we also will live with him. It's that union that we have in Christ. This present position that we have before God is directly connected to our union with Christ. This is a truth I pray to God that, that I, I can only, I, I shared this in the first service, I can only inform your minds. But I pray that God the Holy Spirit allows this truth to be so real in your hearts. Because that union that we have in Christ changes everything. Changes everything. If you weren't here for last week's message, I really want to encourage you, you don't hear me say that often, I really want to encourage you to get a hold of last week's message and listen to it in light of where we're also going today. Because the, our understanding of this really informs our, 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 our position uh, before God and also informs the way in which we ought to live our lives. Look at verse five. Paul writes, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, we see three things that that are a result of what Christ has done for us. As a result of our union with Christ, we have been made alive together with Christ. We've been raised up together with Christ and we've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And I mentioned all of these things take place not in the future, but right now. These are not presented in a future tense, something that we're hoping for, but we have already been made alive together in Christ. We've already been raised together in Christ, and we are already seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ. And so in Christ, you're made alive. You're made alive, having been dead in your trespasses and sins. In Christ, you were, you were raised up from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. As citizens of heaven, we no longer belong to the earth. We've moved on from being people of this world to being people of God. We live now as as ambassadors of this heavenly country, as citizens of heaven, of Christians, as Christians, a little Christ in the world, not in our deity, but in our identity. And I, and I think that that truth is something that gets lost or, or becomes, sometimes we become a little too familiar with that over time. And we fail to recognize that, that our position in Christ ought to impact our lives in every way, every single day. We've been raised together in Christ all the time. I heard an interview this past week. The uh, interviewer asked, a Catholic woman said to her, how can you be a Catholic and be pro-choice at the same time? And she said, well, when I go into the church, I'm Catholic. But when I live out, when I walk outside the church, 
I live my life. Now, before we gasp and point fingers and think she represents the whole Catholic church, I want to tell you, she represents our church as well. She represents the evangelical church as well, folks. Because there's too many times as Christians that we apply truths in ways that are only convenient to us, right? We know what we should do. We know how we should live. We know how we should extend ourselves. We know how we should forgive. We know how, it just got real personal, didn't it? Right, we know the things we are. So when we go to church, we put it on. Paul says, we've been raised together in Christ. That means we're no longer citizens of this world. That means the priorities of the world, the passions of the world, the things that are so important of the world, they ought not to be the things that drive us as people of God. We are citizens of heaven first. We've been raised together in Christ Jesus. Whether you're in the building or out of the building, you are Christ's. We've been raised together in Christ. That's what Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter two. He says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. What does that mean? It means that my life isn't my own anymore. I'm on there. I was put on the cross. My old self was put on there. I've been raised to newness of life. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, my Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christianity is not just what you believe, it's how you put those beliefs to practice in your lives. It's about how, how Christ's influence in, in your life has changed the way in which you live your life from the inside out. Look what Paul says in Colossians chapter three. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. I mean, there's enough right there. If you've been raised with Christ, this is what people who have been raised with Christ do. They seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of the earth. Why? For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a powerful picture that Paul paints of our new identity in Christ. Right? You see, so many times we read this and we beat ourselves up but, but, because we think, well, we, that means I can't do this, that, or the other thing. Let, let's step back a little bit and see the blessing that is in this. We don't have to do those things that will never bring fulfillment in the first place. Those counterfeits that keep us from walking in the blessing and the goodness of God. That's not who you are anymore. That was the problem in the Colossian church. That was the problem in the Ephesian church. And that's the problem at Integrity Church. Too many times we can get caught up thinking that God is pulling us or keeping things from us because he doesn't want us to have a good time. He's keeping those things from us so we can be blessed and walk in the goodness and blessing of God. Look what he says. Those things are not consistent with your nature. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What does that mean? I had a picture, while it come to my mind, I was thinking in the service I, I, while we were worshiping. What does that mean? Don't worry, I'm not taking an offering right now. But my life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, and so when I think about that scripture, if this represents my life, 
It's a Luden's throat drop that I didn't take yet, right? If this represents my life and this represents Christ, my life is hidden in Christ. And you know what? It's sealed. My life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. My identity is no longer about me. It's in Christ. When Father sees me, he doesn't see me. He sees Christ. When the world sees me, they shouldn't see me. They should see Christ. My life is hidden with Christ. Well, where am I? I died in there. But I've been raised to newness of life in Christ. I'll put that in the offering later. That's who you are. I don't know about you, but that's the best news. I need my life to be hidden in Christ. I don't want to stand on my own merits, on my own ability to accomplish what the scriptures teach. I want to be hidden in Christ. As I say, it says, clothed in his righteousness. This is, this is our, our union with Christ. Now, somebody who just tuned in online just heard that one line and thinks, thinks I'm saying the, our, the offering is our union with Christ. That's not what we're saying. You know what I said, right? <laughs> Listen, you're either in union with Christ or you're under the wrath of God. There are no other spiritual locations. You're either in union with Christ or you're under the wrath of God. There's no other place. You're either dead in your trespasses and sins or... You've been made alive together with Christ. You've been raised up with him. You've been seated with him in the heavenly places. He has seated us with him in the heavenly places. That's where we left off last week, this idea of what does this mean? We're, we're seated with him in, in the heavenly places. We talked about three different heavens. We have our immediate heaven, which is the, the, the earth atmosphere in which we live, and then we have our, the second heaven, which would be uh, the universe, the, where, or, where the, as I mentioned last week, the, the sun, the moon, the stars, and some people we know kind of linger, right? Uh, and then there's the third heaven, where the, where the presence of God is, right? And, and that's, that's the heavenly places that's, that Paul is referring to here. It's the same word that he uses in Corinthians when he talks about him being carried into the third heavens, and so we've been seated with him in the heavenlies or in the heavenly places. Look at some of the areas that we see this ascribed to Christ's position. We look at uh, Hebrews chapter one. I love, uh, love reading through the book of Hebrews. It says here, long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, that's exactly what we, as we look back at the Old Testament, we see that God spoke through the prophets and in many ways, through the priests and through the systems and, and through the types and, and you know, through the cloud by day and the fire by night and the, the water coming from the rock and the splitting of the Red Sea. And God spoke to his people in many, many ways. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. And actually, a proper reading of the Greek actually is that God spoke, speaks to us in son. It's almost like it's the language of God. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And now in these days, God speaks to us in Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus, through whom also he created the world. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We're seeing a beautiful display of, of the beauty and majesty of who Jesus is. And he says, look, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name is he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. His name. Chapter 10 and verse 12 of Hebrews says, but when Christ had made offering for, had, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. I love that. When he had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Let me just tell you, Christ offered one sacrifice for sin. There was no other offering needed. Everything that was needed to pay the price for sins was paid in the sacrifice of Christ. What that tells me and tells you is you don't need to put yourself on the cross. Jesus has already done that. And so when you drop the ball, you don't need to walk in shame and guilt and feeling alienated from God, thinking you need to go on the cross. Christ paid that price once and for all, a single sacrifice for our sins. And then he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he is perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wow. What Christ did in time affected all of time. What Christ did in the timeline affected over the timeline all of those who were being sanctified. The work of Christ. And when he accomplished that, the writer says he sat down at the right hand of God. He echoes what the psalmist writes in Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus, speaking about himself in Luke chapter 22, says, from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Peter will echo those words. Speaking of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He is at the right hand of the Father. Seated. And look what the Look what we see in what Jesus says in Revelation chapter three. John records it. Jesus says, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me. If I circle with me, right? He will sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. In other words, if I conquered, so did you. If I sat down, so will you. That, my friends, is your union with Christ. Paul says, we are raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. There are so many more scriptures that demonstrate this reality, but what's so amazing is that our union, our connection, our, our oneness in Christ is so inseparable 
that it's as if we are seated with him in the heavenly places in the same way that we were with him on the cross and raised with him to newness of life. That's your position. That's your position. The strategy of the enemy is to get you to question your place in God. The enemy can never unseat you. Nothing can unseat you when Christ has sat you in heavenly places. He wants you to think that you have been removed. He wants you to feel like a loser. He wants you to feel alienated from a God again. He wants you to feel, he can only operate in the arena of your emotions. He cannot touch your position. Why? Because your life is hidden with Christ in God. He can't get to you. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. want you to get so insecure about how God sees you that it robs you of the abundant life that Christ has for you. Not realizing the freedom that you have in Christ. I really dropped the ball last week. It was Juneteenth and it was a wonderful opportunity to highlight something that was very significant. Juneteenth is celebrated because there were so many African Americans who were free of slavery. They just didn't know it prior to that. I just thought to myself, what an incredible opportunity to present the truth of how many Christians have been set free as well. They just don't know it. They just didn't know it. They're living like slaves. They're being treated like slaves, right? They're seeing themselves as slaves. The problem is they weren't slaves. And Juneteenth is celebrated so that they they finally had the opportunity to see themselves as free men and women. I'm preaching on that next Juneteenth, I can guarantee you. But, but, but the parallel is so true. There's so many Christians, it's the same way. We, if, we, we, are, we are new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. You're not what you were. He that the sun sets free is free indeed. And the enemy, who's a liar, would love to fill your heart and mind with, with these lies and say this is not who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. The enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy, but Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Too many Christians are not aware of their standing in Christ. Who you are. Double-minded, driven and tossed. by, the, And it breaks my heart to see so many Christians just get taken out by the lies of the enemy, feeling like they're second rate. Paul told the church in Colossians, for in him, speaking of Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. And he says, look, and you are complete in him. You are complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. That means that when Christ made you one with him, in, in, when, when, when you were made alive and raised together in newness of life and seated in, in, in Christ uh, at, at, at the right hand of the Father with Christ, you were made complete. That's why, that's why teachings 
like the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and these other um, teachings that would suggest you need to do something to get the fullness or more of God. It drives me crazy because that's not what the Scriptures teaches. The Scripture teaches that you are complete in Him. You, are, you don't need anything more than what Christ has secured for you in redemption. You don't need God to give you more of himself. You need to give God more of yourself. That's the connection. That's the peace. And when we get to Ephesians, being filled with the Spirit, we'll make that connection a lot better. But the reality of it is, you don't need any more of God to be complete in him. We, we need to be more surrendered so we can walk out this completed life in Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God and therefore you're his. Now watch this, when, when Christ sat down, it signified the completion of the work for which he came, right? As we saw above, Christ accomplished his purpose for coming. When he ascended into heaven, he sat down. Hebrews 10, 12, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. Sitting down is what we do when we finish the task that we set out to do. My question to you this morning is this. Did Jesus complete the task? How do you know Jesus completed the task? He sat down. He completed it. It was finished. Now here's how powerful our union with Christ is. And, and, I, and I can't fully wrap my arms around this, so I don't want to, like, but, but this is what the scripture says. Here's how powerful our union is in Christ. When Christ sat down and completed the work for which he came, we sat down with him because he completed the work for us. In the same way, in the same trust that I've got to believe that I died with him in his death, I've been raised, I have to trust what the scripture says, that I've been raised with him in newness of life. And likewise, I have been seated in heavenly places right alongside him. Positionally, I'm perfect. Here's a really lame example. That's my son. Josh, not that he's a lame example. But <laughs> it's my son. He's a balsamo. He was born October 22nd, 1998. And that was the day he became a balsamo. No matter what he does, where he goes, what he, how he, what, what, nothing can change the fact, like it or not, he's a balsamo. And all of my training, all of my guidance, has, all of my sanctifying, if you will, has been to teach him, this is how balsamos live. This is how balsamos think. Here's how balsamos respond. Sometimes we're really messed up, by the way, but, but that's what we do, right? So, but th this is the way of life of a balsamo. You're already a balsamo. You'll never be any more or less of a balsamo. You're already a balsamo, but you need to live out your new identity. And you see, that's the thing. We have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are positionally perfect. We stand clothed in his righteousness. We are hidden with Christ in God. But at the end of the day, we are still being sanctified. We are still working this journey out. And we are walking this thing out. And that's what we cover in chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians. What does this look like? How does this identity 
get lived out in our lives. Sinclair Ferguson said something very profound. I thought he said, if we are united to Christ, then we are united to him at all points of his activity on our behalf. We share in his death because we're baptized into his death. We share in his resurrection because we're resurrected with Christ. We share in his ascension. We've been raised with him. We share in his, in his heavenly session as we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. We share in his promised return. That's why we, we long for the next big event on God's calendar, the rapture of the church. And then seven years after that, we're going to come back with Christ and share in that promised return, the second coming of Christ. It's all tied to our union with Christ because here's the thing, where he goes, <laughs> I go with him because I'm in Christ. What an amazing gift we've been recipients of. These opening passages in Ephesians paint quite a picture of who we are in Christ. In fact, this new position that we have in Christ is so clearly and overwhelmingly laid out that it could start to make you feel like you're a special group of people. That's exactly what Peter will say that you are. First Peter chapter 2 you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. A people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, dead in our trespasses and sins, and into his marvelous light, raised to newness of life. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I mean, a reading, an outsider's look of this might suggest that this is a special breed of people, a unique race of people. What could we possibly have ever done to earn this gift? On what grounds, by what merits could we have ever gone to to be identified as this special group of people? This new position must be viewed through the lens of how we received it. Before there's any puffing up, before there's any feeling like we are special in and of ourselves, this position, which clearly is laid out in the scriptures, must be understood through the lens of how we received it. We receive this solely on the merits of Jesus Christ by grace alone. There is nothing you could have ever possibly done to earn or secure yourself or your standing before God or your union with Christ or your seating with him in heavenly places. There's nothing. I don't care how intelligent you are, how generous you are, how good looking you are, whatever it is, there is nothing. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And so anything that's good that we are is by the grace of almighty God. And that's, it's almost like Paul goes to great lengths of, of, of highlighting the, the beauty of who we are in Christ. But he sandwiches it with the importance of understanding that you're only that because of the grace of Almighty God. 
the ground before the foot of the cross is level. And any invite to the table is only because of the grace of God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together, by grace you have been saved. By grace. And he raised us up with him and seated us, within, uh, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Look, so that, if you, if you mark up your Bible, you want to circle that, so that in verse 7 several times. So that, why did he do that? He didn't need to do that. I didn't deserve that. You did not deserve that. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you see the fingerprints of God all over your salvation from the foundations, from before the foundations of the world in Ephesians chapter one to that glorious day when we're in his presence? It is only by the grace of God. For by grace, he says in verse eight, you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God not of works, lest anyone could boast. You see, if there's anything you can do, that was the problem with the Pharisees, they'd love to boast on the things that they did. And their righteousness fell far short. For by grace you've been saved. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You and I have nothing to boast in, save Jesus Christ and his grace and love and mercy extended towards us. It is not the result of your works. So then whose work is it if it's not ours? Well, look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. For good works. We've been created. We are his workmanship in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we must see who we are in Christ, but we must only, and and we we must look at that through the lens of the grace of God so that we don't start thinking we're better than anybody else, more godly than anybody else, more holy than anybody else. You've seen them, so have I. It is by grace and grace alone that God has brought, done anything in our lives. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is incredibly important for us to get a hold of because as we get into the practices of Christ, right? The practices of of what it means to be in Christ. And we start to look at some of the ways in which our lives are to be lived. How husbands ought to love their wives. How wives ought to love their husbands. How parents ought to treat their kids and kids treat their parents. We get into a whole dynamic of relationships as we get into Ephesians. And how we're supposed to work on our job and how we're supposed to treat employees and and how we're supposed to act and live in the world around. When we look at the way in which we are to live our lives, we must realize that what the way we live needs to be an overflow of who we are. And so we spend the first three chapters highlighting, this is who you are. This is how you act. This is the new life in Christ. This is how you live your life. And when we realize our position, 
then we can embrace God's expectation, knowing I can't do it myself, but I am his workmanship created in Christ. And he that began a good work in me, thank God he will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, so much of it is so hard to wrap our arms around the, the significance of the work of Christ and our union with Christ. And Lord, I, I pray that you would t- take this word and um, Lord, as I mentioned, I, I, I can fill the years, but I can't, I can't impregnate it into the hearts of your people. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would do that in a way that would bring forth fruit and life and encouragement and lives that are lived to the glory and honor of you. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that has bought into the lie that they're second class, second rate, not good enough, not knowledgeable enough. God, I pray that you would expose that lie and that they would see themselves as in Christ, complete in him. And Lord, for that one that does not know you, Lord, whether listening online or on TV or in this room, I pray that if there's anyone here that has not embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, as the only solution to their sin problem, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make their eyes open and that they would respond to Jesus, turning to Jesus in forgiveness. Father, we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.